Well, you know, in chapter 22 of his gospel, Matthew recorded a conversation that Jesus had with uh, a man who was identified as an expert in the law. He was a lawyer. And uh, this is a familiar account. You may remember that this lawyer came up to Jesus and he asked Jesus a, a question. He said, you know, of, of all the hundreds of, of commands that are given in Scripture, which one is uh, the most important? Which one is the greatest? And you remember Jesus responded brilliantly saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. But then you'll recall Jesus quickly added, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> well, in reality, what Jesus was doing here is he was taking the Ten Commandments and he was condensing them down into just two. We are to love God perfectly and we are to love other people perfectly. And what Jesus outlined here in just a few words is a description of what it looks like to have a vital relationship with the Lord. To have a deep relationship with the Lord is to love him and it's to love other people as well. Well, in 1 John 4.20, you know, obviously we've been spending a lot of time on this subject in 1 John. In 1 John 4.20 we read, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. <clears throat> well, this morning as we come to Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon demonstrates that this same connection of having a vital love relationship with God coupled with love for other people is the essence of true wisdom. And so if we are to grow in wisdom, the key is to grow in our personal relationship with God. And so that's what we're going to be considering this morning. So we could think of the theme of Proverbs chapter 3. We could express it something like this. Growth in wisdom is a product of a vital relationship with the Lord. Growth in wisdom is a product of a vital relationship with the Lord. If you want to grow in wisdom, <laughs> pursue that relationship. You know, if we're casual in our relationship with God, if we're, if we're not seeking Him regularly in the Word, if we're not praying very often, except maybe when we're in trouble, uh, if we're not worshiping Him, if we're not having fellowship, you can be sure there will be very little growth in wisdom. It's that relationship, a vital relationship with Him, uh, that is the key to being on the path. And so in this chapter, Solomon provides five key principles for achieving growth in wisdom. And we will discover that all five hinge on our relationship with the Lord. And the first one is this. Obey the word of the Lord from your heart. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. You might remember that last week we noted that in the very first verse of chapter 2 that we studied last time, Solomon recorded this plea that he had made to his son. He wrote, Receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. And then last time as we considered this plea, we saw that the point Solomon was making is that growth and wisdom is not something that a person gains by uh, stumbling through life on their own, bouncing from one personal experience to another. Uh, I had a period in my life where I tried doing that, and I can assure you it's a recipe for trouble. And so true wisdom, godly wisdom, requires revelation from outside of ourselves. That's what we talked about last time. Receive my words, treasure my commandments, Solomon says. Revelation is required, uh, but as we saw last time, it's not just any revelation. In verse 6 of chapter 2, we saw that God alone is the source of true wisdom. It's through receiving God's revelation in his word that we were able to grow in wisdom. And it was the word of God that Solomon was teaching his son. So with that thought in mind, look again at the opening of chapter 3. And you'll notice that here we find a call to remember. Notice he begins 
by expressing it in the negative. He says, do not forget my teaching. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, you read a scripture in the morning that, that really impacted you, and then over the course of a busy day, by the time you got to mid-afternoon, you don't even remember what it was that you read in the morning? You know, it's uh, <laughs> so easy for us to forget. And here the call is to work at remembering God's revelation to us. But Solomon goes on to explain that there is a vital reason that we must not lose hold of the truth of the Scripture. And the reason that we must not forget is so that we can obey it. And so Solomon continues by making a call to consistent obedience from the heart. Do not forget, he says, but instead, let your heart keep my commandments. So is this just external obedience? Is this a matter of, of box checking, of thinking, well, at least I, I didn't blow my top today. I didn't lose control and get angry at somebody today, so I can check that box. Is that, is that what this is talking about? Yeah, obviously not. You'll notice the, the emphasis here on um, the heart. Uh, this is obedience that is not external, it's internal. You remember we talked last time that when you see the word heart in an Old Testament, the, the word there is really talking about, uh, it's not just the seat of emotions, which is what we think of when we think of heart. It's the, the center of our will. It's our mind. It includes emotions, but it also uh, includes our decision-making process. And so that's what Solomon is talking about here. He says, let your heart keep my commandments. Make that decision uh, in your heart to obey. So this verse makes it plain that what matters is our heart motivation, obeying God's law from our heart. And it's not easy to do, and it's something that requires a heart that's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And it can only be uh, accomplished as we make the effort, but through the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to uh, actually change. But <laughs> consider the reward that's offered here, a reward of longevity and peace. Again, now look at the first two verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just a, a tremendous word of assurance here. Internalizing God's word and seeking to obey it from the heart takes real effort but the result is real blessing. And so here we find a general principle. Again, this is not an ironclad promise that the pursuit of wisdom through obeying God's word, it'll, it'll typically extend uh, the length of a person's life and it'll give them a greater quality of life. You notice that word translated uh, peace and peace they will add to you? Uh, that word is the Hebrew word shalom. And here again, the, the Hebrew word is a lot richer in meaning than what we see just in, in English. It means more than just having inner tranquility. It includes that, but when, when you see the word shalom, when you see this word peace, what it's talking about is overall well-being. I mean, it includes uh, physical well-being. It includes spiritual well-being. It includes prosperity. It includes just kind of every aspect of life. And so what Solomon is saying is when you uh, obey the word of God from the heart, you are likely to live longer and you are likely to experience well-being in every aspect of your life. Just a, a tremendous uh, statement, tremendous encouragement here. Well, then in verse 3, Solomon continues with a call to godly behavior. And here is what it looks like to keep the Lord's commands from the heart. And you'll notice that once again, the verse opens with a negative command, followed by kind of turning that coin over and looking at the positive aspect. Verse 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, the word translated kindness here is the Hebrew word hesed. In fact, I was a little surprised that the New American Standard translates it kindness because the word, it's another one of those words. It's a lot bigger than what we think of when we see uh, kindness. It's, it's a word that includes kindness, but it also means loyal love. This is a call to, to love 
and, and be committed in our love. It's a call to never fail to give kindness and loyal love to other people. And then the word translated truth is another word that's rich in meaning. In addition to truth, it also carries the idea of being faithful and dependable. So, I'll give you a little quiz. Who can you think of in Scripture who never once failed to show loyal, loving kindness along with truth and faithfulness in all of his relationships? Jesus. Yeah, it wasn't a hard question, was it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, so what Solomon is talking about here, what, what he's describing here, think of it as Christ-likeness. This is a call to obey Scripture from the heart and be like Christ, be pursuing uh, that kind of life. Well, obviously, Jesus alone exhibited this kind of character, uh, but that is precisely the call here. And if Solomon were writing in New Testament terms, he could simply say, just be like Jesus. But you'll notice the figures of speech that Solomon uses here to describe how to pursue this. One of these expressions, he says, bind kindness and truth around your neck. It represents something external. When you think of something that's been bound around your neck, it's like wearing a necklace. It's like something that is obvious. It's something that everyone can see. Uh, but how about the second figure of speech? What's this talking about? When he says, uh, bind them around your neck, something that's obvious, visible, and write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, we see the heart coming up here. Is this external or internal? Yeah, so here he's talking about uh, the internal. What's going on inside us uh, really matters, doesn't it? Your heart motivation matters. Showing loving kindness and truth is not something that we're able to just demonstrate externally. If we've done that, that's, you know, that only goes so far, uh, but the qualities must come from the heart. And when that happens, verse 4 tells us the result is the reward of godly character, a good reputation. Look at verse 4 again. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of of God and man. Godly behavior resulting from heart obedience to the word of God will be, it'll be recognized by others and it results in a good reputation. Not just in the eyes of man, but also in the sight of God. Does this verse have a familiar ring to it? Maybe? <laughs> the gospel writer Luke used similar wording in describing Jesus as he grew toward adulthood. He wrote, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Same idea. So the first principle that Solomon offers as a reminder that to grow in wisdom, we must obey the word of the Lord from our heart. This is one of the pillars of a vital relationship with the Lord. But not only do we need hearts that obey the Lord, we also need to be committed to the Lord in every respect and working to develop our relationship with him. And so as he continues in verses uh, 5 through 12, we come to a second principle for growing in wisdom, and that's grow your relationship with the Lord. Now as he continues, he offers several ingredients that are necessary to that growth, and he begins with the matter of trust. And I think one of the more unfortunate characteristics of American culture uh, is this idea that uh, we need to be independent. You know, it's the idea of the self-made man. It's the idea of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, that is the antithesis of what Solomon is talking about here. You know, in, in America, we can think, well, I can stand on my own, and I don't need anybody. I don't need anything else. And uh, that is just a, a lie in terms of, uh, what scripture is is telling us the command here you'll notice in verse 5 is to trust in the Lord and not in yourself obviously a very familiar verse trust in the Lord with all your heart notice that heart comes up again trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding so here is perhaps the clearest expression of the central idea of this chapter from beginning to end, the focus of chapter 3 is on the believer's relationship with the Lord, and here it's plain that that relationship is to be one of trust. 
But to what extent? How far do we trust God? What does the verse say? With all of our heart. Yeah, this is a, a comprehensive call. This is not a call to uh, just trust God only when I feel the need. It's not that. It needs to be deep and it needs to be constant. I was reminded when I read this, I was reminded of a, a, a Peanuts comic strip from, from quite a number of years ago uh, where uh, Charlie Brown is in school and uh, he has an exam paper in front of him. And as he looks at his exam paper, he says, Oh, Lord, help me to uh, pass this test. And then he clamps his hand over his mouth and he says, Oh, no, I prayed in school. And Linus turns to him and says, Don't worry, Charlie Brown. That kind of prayer will always be with us. You know, isn't it true that we tend to turn to the Lord, trust in the Lord when we are feeling desperate? And this verse is saying, No, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. This is to be uh, complete, continual uh, trust in God. And notice that uh, the verse, uh, it has LORD in all caps. And, of course, that's signifying here that this is uh, God's personal name. It's Yahweh. It's trust in God personally uh, as we uh, place our confidence in him. Well, we need to trust him personally. And verse 6 expands this idea by calling us to come to know him personally. Look at verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's kind of an interesting verse. As, as I've read this verse, encountered this verse over the years, I've always kind of wondered about it. When, when we think about acknowledging uh, something, you know, we, could, uh, we might just uh, uh, acknowledge that, um, oh, yeah, Barb has agreed to bring snacks next week. You know, we just acknowledge that, yeah, we we're kind of agreeing to something. And it seems like there must be more going on here than that. Well, once again, this is another word that um, it, it means more than just what we think of when we think about acknowledging something. Commentator Derek Kidner explains the word acknowledge means no. And he goes on to say this. He says, it contains not only the idea of acknowledging, but the much richer content of being aware and having fellowship with. So based on the full meaning of this word translated acknowledge, the idea is that in everything we do, we are to look to the Lord, knowing his presence with us and enjoying our personal relationship with him. It's really a picture of, of walking closely with the Lord. That's what this is talking about. It's a, it's a picture of walking with him, trusting him, as we saw in verse 5. And the result is given in the second half of the verse. He will make your paths straight. Does that mean that we'll go through life and we'll never have any troubles? Now, that's not what it's talking about at all. When it, when it says he will make your paths straight, uh, it, it's the idea that he will direct you in the way that you should go. And this is the path of God's choosing. And what it means is, God is going to knock down the obstacles that stand in the way of what he wants for you. It, it may not be what you have in mind because what he has in mind is always better for you than what you have in mind. But it's the idea that he clears the obstacles that stand in the way of his perfect will uh, for your life. So he will direct you where he wants you to go. Well, this thought of trusting in the Lord's power and compassion and not on yourself is developed further with a call to maintain an accurate assessment of yourself and an accurate assessment of God. This is in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Well, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, he instructed us that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And if we begin to think of ourselves as wise, it's clear that we are using the wrong standard. To, to do that, it's, is, you can be sure we're comparing ourselves with, with other people. But we're not to measure ourselves against others, but against God as the only one who holds perfect wisdom. And that's why the second half of the verse calls us back to our view of God. You'll notice it says, 
uh, fear the Lord, that he reminds us here. And when we do that, again, to fear the Lord is to view him in his holiness and righteousness. It's to recognize God's perfect wisdom, his perfect knowledge. It's to uh, treat him with awe and respect. Fearing the Lord kind of encompasses all of those things. When we do that, we will see how lowly we are and will be motivated to turn away from evil. So we are not to consider ourselves wise, but rather to fear the Lord. And then verse 8 goes on to reveal the results of maintaining this right perspective. Again, it says, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So what will happen when we trust in the Lord with all our heart? When we really know him and we seek him in whatever we're doing, when we see him as he really is and we see ourselves in all of our weakness as we really are, well, verse 8 tells us that we will enjoy physical well-being. Well, that's interesting. So does this mean a guarantee that we're going to have perfect health? Well, of course, that's not what this is talking about. Living in a right relationship with the Lord is not a guarantee of good physical health. There's many reasons that the Lord may choose to lead us through uh, physical challenges. But verse 8 reminds us that there is often a significant correlation between spiritual health and physical health. Remember King David? <laughs> he was one who, uh, a great man of God, but also one who sinned. King David put this truth on display in Psalm 32 as he wrote of a time when he was not living by these principles. And David put it this way, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Spiritual health, physical health, there's a connection. Spiritual health is good for physical health. That's the point that Solomon is making here. Well, another way that we're to cultivate our relationship with the Lord is to worship the Lord through giving. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The instruction here is, is not new. This is not the first time this concept has come up in, in Old Testament Scripture. In Deuteronomy 26, we find that the citizens of Israel were to give the first fruits to God. The, the first produce they gathered from the harvest uh, was to be given to God. And it was an act of praise and thanksgiving to him. To give of what you have to the Lord is a way to worship and honor him. It's a way of giving him thanks for what he has provided. But it's also an act of trust. To give up something that you have in your possession in order to honor him means you no longer have the use of it. You are sacrificing something. And you are trusting that he will supply what you need. Everything we have comes from him, and we are to honor him uh, with what he has given us. Well, then verse 10 offers the general principle that honoring the Lord through giving results in material blessing. And perhaps you've discovered in your own experience that you can't outgive God. You, you may have had situations where you have given sacrificially and, and, and the Lord has, has just provided for you in ways that you didn't expect. But one word of caution here, <laughs> lest we begin to view God as a divine piggy bank. Listen once again to the words of commentator Derek Kidner regarding verse 10. He writes this, the generalization that piety brings plenty chimes in with much of Scripture and experience. So he's saying it's true that Scripture says when you are generous, God, God will bless. And our experience kind of verifies that. But then he goes on to say this. But if it were more than a generalization, God would not be so much honored as invested in by our gifts. I think he's, he's exactly right. You know, the health and wealth preachers view God in this distorted way, kind of, kind of like he's a, an ATM machine. You, know, you, you stick the card in and you get, you get cash out. And they just kind of used God in, in that way. Uh, and that's clearly not what this uh, verse is, is talking about. Um, you may have heard the, the view that, well, the reason that you, you give is so that you will get. 
and then you can give, and then you can get. You know, it's the idea that you will just increase in, in your riches as you continue to, to give uh, to the Lord. Uh, that is viewing God as an investment, <laughs> and it's a totally false view. God is to be honored and worshipped with our resources as we recognize that it's all his in the first place, and he will be faithful to supply what we need. So we are to develop our relationship with the Lord. Let's just review here a little bit. By putting our trust in him and not on ourselves, by coming to know him personally, walking with him as we make our way through life, really knowing him, by maintaining an accurate assessment of ourselves and of him, and by worshiping him through our giving. Well, finally, we grow in our relationship with him when we submit to the Lord's loving discipline. Look at verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Familiar verses. <laughs> you might recognize them as being quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. Well, it's true that when the Lord disciplines us by letting us suffer the consequences of our sin, uh, it is not a pleasant process. It's not one that uh, uh, we enjoy going through. If we respond in our flesh with resentment toward our situation, ultimately we are resenting God and we are not operating from wisdom. But verse 12 goes on to remind us that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And when he corrects us, it's just like a father correcting his son. So when we are experiencing divine discipline, it, it's a mark of God's love for us, not his uh, disdain toward us, uh, quite the opposite. So to live by wisdom is to recognize that God's correction, though it may be painful for a time, is the best thing for us, and it stems from God's love for us. But by its very nature, discipline is not pleasant, but it is necessary. The writer of the book of Hebrews summarizes the point this way in Hebrews 12, 11. He writes, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we are not to reject God's discipline. We are not to uh, shy away from it, not to loathe his reproof, as he puts it here uh, but to recognize that this is the mark of God's love for us, and we're to receive it that way. So, Solomon opened the chapter in verses 1 through 4, instructing us to uh, remember and obey God's word from the heart. And then in verses 5 through 12, he explained how to grow in wisdom through developing our relationship with the Lord by giving us a series of practical commands. Well, then in the, in the next section, in verses 13 to 26, Solomon provides strong motivation for pursuing this quest for wisdom. And here, he calls us to recognize the benefits the Lord gives through wisdom. And this is quite a list. <laughs> the first benefit is the Lord's great blessing. Look at verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. This is a good place to be when you are finding wisdom, when you're increasing in wisdom, which means you're increasing in your relationship with the Lord. You want to be under the Lord's approval, under his favor? Find wisdom, gain understanding, and you'll receive great blessing. But how do you do that? Well, he goes on. Uh, well, let me back up. <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? It really takes us back to verses 1 through 12. He's kind of given us the... The, the keys for uh, growing in that relationship. But more to the point here, what does God's blessing look like? Well, verse 14 describes one of the aspects, unequaled return on investment. Look at verse 14. For her profit, that is wisdom, her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. What is it that will make you increasingly rich, not in a material sense, uh, but in a spiritual sense? It's wisdom. You know, the image here is of one engaged in trade and making a profit. And the point is that wisdom results in greater profit, greater personal gain uh, than anything else. 
And that's because wisdom holds unequaled worth. Verse 15, she is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. As you live your life, there is simply nothing of greater value uh, than having the wisdom of God. You look at the second half of verse 15. What are some of your desires? Good health, a Caribbean cruise, that would be nice, a hefty bank account. You know, no matter what our desires may be, this verse reminds us that there is nothing of our desires that compares with uh, the value of wisdom. And then he goes on in verse 16 to explain that wisdom offers longevity, wealth, and acclaim. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. You know, once again, keep in mind that, as is characteristic of all of the book of Proverbs, these are general truths, not promises. In general, believers who pursue wisdom are likely to live longer, to be more financially secure, and to be more respected than those whose lives are characterized by folly. But what else does wisdom offer? A pleasing quality of life. Look at verse 17. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Peace. We've run across that word before, haven't we? Guess what the Hebrew word is? It's shalom. <laughs> yeah, so here we come back to the idea of peace, of shalom that we saw in verse 2. Wisdom produces a great sense of well-being. We know that we are where God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do when we are operating by his wisdom. Well, verse 18 continues in a similar vein that wisdom brings life and happiness. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Well, here Solomon uses the term tree of life as a picture representing God's overall blessing. The idea is that wisdom brings blessing in every aspect, in every uh, respect uh, when it comes to living life. But now, starting in verse 19, Solomon steps away for a moment from his list of benefits of wisdom to offer a reminder uh, that wisdom applies to more than just the details and daily decisions that we make as we go through uh, the course of our lives. Wisdom is also grand and glorious, and God put it on display when he created the universe. So in verse 19, we come to what you might consider an interlude, uh, as he describes the Lord's incomparable wisdom. Verse 19, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. So here we're invited to marvel at the Lord's use of wisdom. It is through wisdom that the Lord did these things. By wisdom, he created the heavens and the earth. You know, think for a moment about the vastness of the universe and the fact that God has set every star in place and he knows them all by name. Um, it's just incredible to think about. Think about the incredible complexity of all the life forms on the earth, you know, from, you know, down at the molecular level, you know, all the way up to, to a, a, a blue whale. When you think about the complexity of life and how everything works together so amazingly, even in a fallen world, it, it just reminds us that God has unbelievable wisdom and he has used it. He has put it on display in this way. His wisdom is profound. It's beyond anything we can imagine. Verse 20 points to the Lord's wisdom in sustaining his creation. The deeps were broken up, evidently a reference to his, his placing the oceans and seas the rivers and lakes uh, precisely where he wants them, providing life-giving water to the earth, and even mentions uh, dew on the grass. You know, that's, in, in Israel, a dry place. That was uh, uh, really a blessing. So if by wisdom the Lord has accomplished such great things, how much should we desire wisdom ourselves? You know, there's no greater resource for living life the way God designed it to be lived. That's what wisdom is. That's what wisdom brings us. And so Solomon continues reciting the benefits of wisdom in verse 21, explaining that it offers 
true spiritual life. Verse 21. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Sound wisdom, that is the wisdom of God, and discretion. We've talked before about that word discretion. It really means understanding. It's a, a synonym for understanding. So the wisdom of God, sound wisdom, and discretion, understanding, must be kept in view at all times and retained. Why? Well, verse 22 tells us, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. They'll, they'll yield life. Here he's talking about true spiritual life, evidence of a relationship with God that radiates from the inside out. And so that spiritual life in the soul becomes evident to everyone around you. It, so again, he uses this figure. Of, it's, it's like an adornment around your neck. It becomes obvious to everybody who, who knows you uh, that you have this true spiritual life. But wisdom and understanding provide still more. They also bring spiritual protection. Verse 23. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. You know, it's easy for the person who takes their relationship with God very casually to fall into sin. If there's little time spent in the Word, if prayer is not a priority, if there's little time in fellowship or worship, a person becomes very vulnerable. But that is not the case for the one who keeps sound wisdom and discretion. His point is that walking in wisdom brings spiritual security. You know, we live in an age and culture where there's plenty that we could worry about, isn't there? You know, think about the, the decline of biblical morality. How about the state of the economy? Uh, how about deep political divisions? You know, where's the country headed? Who's, who's, who's in charge? Uh, the threat of war. You know, the list could go on and on. We live in a place in a time where there is, is, is much that could really cause us uh, deep concern. But with the wisdom and understanding that only God can supply, there is an absence of anxiety. Look at verse 24. Here's another one of the benefits of wisdom. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. To know God, to trust God, to rest in his goodness and sovereign strength is to be able to sleep without anxiety. You ever find yourself waking up during the night, something's on your mind, maybe it's what's coming up the next day or you know, maybe a, uh, a situation where there's conflict with people, you know, who knows? There could be lots of things that, that cause us uh, anxiety if we let it. Well, Solomon here is reminding us that really knowing God, really trusting God uh, is, is a recipe for deep sleep. Anxiety uh, flies out the window. But what about when we are suddenly confronted with trouble that we did not anticipate at all? Has that ever happened to you where something unexpected happened where somebody perpetrated evil toward, toward you, did something uh, harmful to you, you became kind of their prey. Verse 25 speaks to that scenario, reminding us that wisdom and understanding bring freedom from fear. Verse 25, do not be afraid of sudden fear. So here we're talking about something that's a little bit different than kind of ongoing worry. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This takes us right back to verse 5, doesn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. When trouble comes upon us suddenly, we need to trust God and not fear. If we're walking in wisdom, the Lord will be our confidence. Well, what an incredible list of benefits wisdom brings. You know, Solomon has kind of given us benefit after benefit after benefit as he's gone down through this list starting at verse uh, 13. What a powerful motivation to pursue our growth and wisdom by developing our relationship with the Lord. And that brings us to the fourth principle for growth in the Lord. In growing that relationship with the Lord, we need to be concerned with our personal relationships, our relationships with other people. And so next... Solomon makes a call to honor the Lord in your relationships with other people. 
So we've been talking about principles here. This is principle uh, number four. Honor the Lord in your relationships with other people. Solomon could have worded the next series of commands as positive statements to love one another. He could have uh, spoken the words of, of John that we've been reading in 1 John. Uh, would have been uh, entirely appropriate. But here he has chosen to give them as, as negatives. As you glance down through verses 27 to 31, you'll find a series of, of do nots. Verse 27, do not. Verse 28, do not. Verse 29, do not. Verse 30, do not. Verse 31, do not. Worded this way, perhaps because they catch our attention and they really make uh, a, a big impact. It's perhaps a greater impact than just saying, you need to love one another. So the first one is, don't fail to act in love, but serve others when opportunities arise. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. This message sound familiar? <laughs> a few weeks ago, Pastor Tom spoke on 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, which reads, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. In other words, if we have the means to be able to help someone, when we encounter someone in need, we need to do it. And that's what verse 27 is, is reminding us. Don't close your heart. <laughs> Uh, to someone that you encounter who's in need. Verse 28 goes on to add, don't delay in offering aid. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, ah, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you. <laughs> Being slow to respond <laughs> is not showing love to someone in need. When we encounter someone in need and we have the ability to do something uh, right away, we need to go ahead and do it. Furthermore, no matter what your neighbor has done or how you feel about him, don't plot anything harmful against your neighbor. Verse 29, do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. So here again, Solomon is exposing an attitude that's the exact opposite of love for neighbor. Uh, as the verse says, your neighbor has every reason to feel secure in living next to you. And this verse argues against the desire to get even or to do anything spiteful uh, to your neighbor. And you'll notice that there's no qualifier here. We must not engage in hurtful activity no matter what our neighbor may have done to us. And here we should take the word neighbor in a broad sense. This is really anyone that, that we encounter. It's not necessarily somebody that just lives next door. Similarly, he instructs us, don't make an issue when there is none. Verse 30, do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Commentators believe that this verse has legal overtones. It seems to be talking about the person who uh, will take another person to court uh, even over the most trivial uh, situation. Or it could be a situation where there's no... Uh, harm been done at all. Uh, the point, <laughs> don't be like that. Don't be quick to, to oh, I'm going to sue him. I'm going to take him to court. Uh, you know, don't contend with a man without cause if he has done no harm to you. Well, the command of verse 31 is, don't envy the wicked. Verse 31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious are an abomination to the Lord but he is intimate with the upright. Psalm 37 makes this same point. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers for they will wither quickly like grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. You know, there's Psalm 73, for instance, talks about, uh, you know, the, the psalmist sees what's going on with the wicked and thinks, ah, you know, he's kind of envious of, of, of the wicked. They have, they have long life and prosperity and everything's going wonderful uh, for them. And, 
And Solomon is reminding us here, don't envy the, the people that are perpetrating evil and don't follow that path. And then he gives the reason in verse 32. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord. That's a really strong word. If you want to know something that the Lord doesn't like, boy, when you see that word abomination, um, <laughs> that's, that's key. But you'll notice in the second half of the verse, but he is intimate with the upright. Again, coming back to this idea of uh, the one who is seeking wisdom and who is uh, seeking to do what is right uh, has that close relationship uh, with the Lord. Verse 32 makes the, the Lord's perspective on the evildoer uh, and the one who seeks to do what is right abundantly plain. And so Solomon's given us a series of do-nots, a series of practices that represent the antithesis of uh, loving our neighbor. And the point is that we are not to be like that, but instead we are to do the opposite of these things that are described here. We are to honor God by demonstrating love to others in every relationship. So we've been talking about loving God, having a relationship with him, and now we see uh, it also carries over into loving other people, uh, maintaining good relationships with other people. Well, verse 32 serves as something of a hinge as it leads into the fifth and final principle regarding our relationship with the Lord. To know the Lord and grow in his wisdom, we need to understand the Lord's view of the wise and the wicked. And here we're going to come back to verse 32 a second time. You know, sometimes when we see all that goes on in the world and that there seems to be uh, little in the way of repercussions uh, for those who pursue great evil, we might wonder, how long, O oh Lord? Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Uh, but at the close of this chapter, we find here assurance that the Lord is totally aware uh, both of the wise and the wicked and that his judgment is coming. So again, we were kind of introduced to this theme in verse 32 as we saw the Lord's response to uh, the devious uh, versus the upright. Make sure I'm on the right line here. Again, look at verse 32. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. Then he goes on in verse 33. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So you see this contrast between the Lord's view of the wicked versus the Lord's view of the righteous. In verse 34, the contrast is between scoffers and the afflicted. Verse 34, though he, that is the Lord, scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. And then finally in verse 35, we see wisdom versus folly. Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. And so Solomon concludes this discourse by uh, reminding his, his son, and of course we're able to listen in on this conversation that he's having with his son. He's reminding his son and us that there's only two paths in life. There's only two paths and there's only two outcomes. To reject wisdom and to stay on the path of folly is to be an abomination to the Lord, verse 32. It's to be under his curse, verse 33. It's to be subject to the Lord's scoffing, verse 34. And it's to be subject to dishonor, verse 35. But on the other side of the coin, to pursue wisdom through developing a vital relationship with the Lord is to be in an intimate relationship with him, verse 32. To be under his blessing, verse 33. To be a recipient of his grace, verse 34. And to be one who will inherit his honor, verse 35. So, there's Proverbs chapter 3. Ah. <laughs> it, it's a lot to consider, isn't it? I mean, this, this chapter is so loaded. <laughs> but uh, let me just take a couple of minutes here to, to kind of come back to, to the big picture as we consider uh, what the implications and application are here. You know, first of all, the benefits the Lord bestows on those who pursue wisdom are innumerable. We saw that list from verse 33 down through verse 26. Benefit after benefit after benefit 
Um, Solomon is saying, hey, wisdom is something that is of such value. That, you know, the point is we need to pursue it. And then secondly... The Lord offers blessing and grace to those who pursue wisdom, but he views the foolish and wicked with disdain and will ultimately bring his judgment on them. We see that right at the very end of the chapter, this contrast to, you know, here's, here's the people that are pursuing folly and, and how the Lord views them, and here's how the Lord views uh, those who are living by wisdom, who are cultivating a relationship with him. And then the point of all that, finally, is verse 3. These realities point to the importance of growing our relationship with the Lord. So the question is, how are you doing in your relationship with the Lord? How are you doing in terms of spending time in the Scripture? Not just hearing great sermons, which we have the privilege of, of hearing here, uh, but your own personal study, your own personal reading, your own personal meditation, your, your memorization of Scripture, getting it into your, into your heart. How about the application of Scripture, obeying it from the heart, as, as we've seen here in this chapter? How about um, really knowing God, acknowledge Him in all your ways? In other words, really know Him, uh, walk with Him, um, trust Him in everything, not in yourself, not in myself, uh, worshiping Him through giving, submitting to His loving discipline, Honoring him in our relationships with other people. You know, this, ver this, this chapter really challenges us to, to think about where are we in our relationship with the Lord and what do we need to be doing to, to be growing in that relationship. And when we do that, we will receive God's wisdom. And when we receive God's wisdom, uh, the, the benefits are, are just amazing. Uh, in short, the path to true wisdom is to seek to love God and to love others. It's what Jesus said when he summarized the commands. Love God, love other people. So let me close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, once again, we uh, come to Scripture just uh, amazed at the clarity that, that you uh, bring to us uh, in teaching us how important our relationship is with you. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, help us to not take these principles for granted, but to really pursue them. Our desire is to know you and to, to love you and to lean on you and to walk with you uh, faithfully. And uh, Father, we desperately need your wisdom. We live in a complicated world, a complicated age, uh, with lots of decisions to be made and lots of uh, temptations thrown our direction. Uh, but, Father, our desire is to live for you and to please you in all respects. And so I pray that each one of us here, that you would be uh, growing us and maturing us and uh, enable us to, to uh, really receive your wisdom, to know your wisdom, to know your understanding, uh, so that we might uh, honor you, glorify you with our lives. And so we pray these things uh, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.